Good morning. I'd like to welcome each one here today. Pray God's blessing on you. We will be in John 1 once again today. It's been an honor to bring God's Word to you. Before we get to the passage today, let's uh, look a little bit at the context and the background. The Gospel of John is one of my favorite books of the Bible. I believe I enjoy it so much because of its depth and richness. It starts off with this amazing introduction known as the prologue of John. In these 18 verses, John gets sets the stage, so to speak, of the whole scope of this book. He gets right to the point and opens with this rich and glorious case for the deity of Christ. He brings in this Logos concept, which is translated the Word. He expounds on that all the way through this prologue. He talks about Jesus as this personal Word and light and creator of all things. By verse 14, the Christmas story comes into place. A version of the Christmas scene which, if we're honest, gets very left out. There is no manger or wise men or shepherds or any guiding star. There is no evil king mentioned or night flights to save the baby Jesus' life. These are the things that we think about when we think of Christmas. This is the traditional famous story of our Savior's birth. Nonetheless, John does tell a Christmas story. He tells the deep theological aspect of the story, which we could easily miss if all we had was Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We tell every detail of the shepherd's journey to find the baby Jesus and miss who Jesus really is. We've missed it. If we go all out on the wise men and how they worship Jesus, if we think they were crazy for worshiping a child, we've missed it. When John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, verse 14, he has up to this point been building up a strong case for the identity of and personhood of this word. This personal word had eternally existed in glory with God, in personal relationship with God. The one by whom all things were made, who is the true light which enlightens every man. He has brought forward a witness which testifies of this light, This witness testifies in order that all might come to believe in Jesus. It is this word that became flesh. 
this light shining in the darkness, this life-giving personal revelation from God, word that became flesh. John tells us this is what ha- what really happened at Christmas. Not that the other writers did not tell us plainly what happened, but they did not focus so much on the theological aspect of it. John goes on to tell us more about this word. He says it's from the very being of this word that grace and truth flow. He tells us this word personally reveals the Father. And he says the word has exegeted him. Verse 18, he has explained him. The invisible, never-before-seen Father is revealed by the eternal Son who has become flesh. And all of these themes which John begins in this prologue will be seen throughout this book. I mean, how many times do we read the words like, if you've seen the Father, you've seen, if you've seen the Son, sorry, you've seen the Father. Or we see this light versus darkness symbolism being used to explain spiritual issues. John starts a lot of these major themes that we see all the way through this gospel. John then goes on to present this prophesied forerunner of Christ, the prophetic desert figure who lives on a strange diet, who lives and talks a whole lot like the Old Testament prophet Elijah. When asked if he is Elijah or perhaps the prophet or even the Messiah, he denies to be any of them. John the Baptist gives his testimony by quoting the prophet Isaiah saying, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. John then records for us some extended dialogues between the Jews and John the Baptist. We finished the first encounter last Sunday. The Jews came to him, questioning John as to his right or authority for baptizing. This is what we went through last Sunday. John gives his answer in verses 26 through 27, if you want to look at them. Verse 26, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Notice what John does not say. He doesn't say, I am a prophet, and believe me on my own authority. But rather he says, as is always the case with John, he points to someone greater than he, even he who comes after me, the straps of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. This then leads us to our passage for today. Before we read it, let's pray. And ask the Lord to bless the rest of our morning. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you especially for the gospel of John. Lord, I ask that you would grant wisdom to understand these words, for clarity of mind to explain them. I pray that you might open our hearts to understand that your words may go forth 
do what you intend for it to accomplish. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our passage today is found in John 1 again, starting in verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. First of all, notice this is now a new day. Our passage passage starts with the next day. This indicates we have left the first witness encounter between John the Baptist and the Jews, which was the first one recorded for us. And we finished this conversation last Sunday. We are now going to look at the second witnessing situation. This time to a different group of Jews. Verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him. Notice something here. John is not seeking after Jesus, but rather Jesus is coming towards him. When John saw Jesus coming, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The word behold here means to look or observe. It is a word used to draw someone's attention. And in this case, John is looking to draw their attention to the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sin of the world. Notice the spirit of boldness that John proclaims this message. And he brings in this deep theology of Jesus, the Messiah. He calls him Lamb of God, which is the first title given to Jesus in today's passage. The other one is going to be the Son of God. He exclaims, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Bringing in this concept of the Lamb would not be anything new to the Jews, especially when followed by the phrase, who takes away the sin. But the phrase of the world might be a little bit more foreign to these Jews. But this is atonement language. The Jews would have been very familiar with these concepts. The idea of a Lamb taking away sin was not news to them. The difference here is this, that this is the Lamb, however. In the Old Testament covenant sacrificial system, the Lamb had to meet certain qualifications. 
It had to be without blemish. It had to be perfect. This, of course, foreshadows the coming of the ultimate Lamb, which is the Lamb of God presented here. This perfect, sinless Lamb of God who would not only hide our sins by covering our sins, like the old system, but would actually take our sins away. And this is what John is saying here. The sin of the world refers to sin in general, I believe. Notice it is sin singular, which would mean John is speaking in a general sense. He is not saying that the Lamb will take away every sin of every individual here. We saw in this chapter in verse 12, if you want to go back a little ways, In verse 12, all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. It is only the ones who receive him. And notice the order here. They first receive him, and then they believe in him. These ones he gives the right to become the children of God. So there is a limitation in the extent of his sacrifice. Moving on to verse 30, and here John is quoting himself. We read these words in verse 15, of course, where he says, This is the one of whom I said. And then now, now he's quoting himself here. After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. So John is consistent with himself. He is saying, I have said this before, but I will say it again. And then meeting Jesus face to face, John exclaims, This is he. I told you about someone who would come after me, and here he is. He's standing before us. He goes on to say in verse 31, I myself did not know him, although Jesus is John's cousin. He does not know Jesus' full identity. But for this purpose I came baptizing with water that, I, that he might be revealed to Israel. So the reason for his baptism is this. So that Jesus would be revealed to Israel. It is not for his own fame or for himself to be exalted in any way. For he confesses Jesus must increase but I must decrease. Rather, John says, this is why I came baptizing that Jesus would be revealed to Israel. Through this baptism, Jesus would be known to his people. This is again to prepare the people. This is what John and his ministry and purpose is all about. It is the central purpose of every prophet of God is to make the one who sent him known. To the people. Verse 32, John the author continues to talk about John's witness of Jesus. And it starts with, And John bore witness, and then he says, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. Notice it does not say the Spirit was a dove, and he came down from heaven. 
but it says, I saw the Spirit descend or come down from heaven like a dove. A dove symbolizes peace and love. In the Old Testament sacrificial system, if the one who had sinned did not have a lamb or could not afford one, he could bring two turtle doves to sacrifice. That symbolizes a lot. The individual had sinned and broken peace. He could bring a peace offering by sacrificing these doves. When the Spirit comes and rests rest on Jesus like a dove, it symbolizes peace and love from God. So John does not record this particular part, but Matthew speaks of a voice sounding from heaven. If you want to turn there to Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. Behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The Father pronounces his love on the Son and says, I am well pleased with you. Going back to John and verse 33 says, I myself did not know him. He made the same statement in verse 31. Said, I am I myself did not know him, him being Jesus. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, And this is where John identifies the source of his authority. He who sent me. Again, John does not rise up by himself and decide, I am a prophet. Neither does the notion to baptize come out of nowhere. He says, he who sent me to baptize with water, he said to me. The Lord has spoken to John. Now, there are a lot of folks out there saying, God spoke to me. But how do we know that is true? Does God speak to us? Yes. How does God speak to us? By His Son, is one phrase from the Bible. Or by His Word, would be another one. If you look at Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Verse 2, But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom he anointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So we see God has spoken finally and sufficiently in his Son. 
Another one is 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. Very familiar portion of Scripture. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Verse 17, That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In other words, Scripture is sufficient. It is enough. God has spoken. Am I denying that God speaks to us? Not at all. Am I saying that God only spoke to the prophets? I am not. But I am saying that Scripture is enough and we shouldn't be looking for more. I am not saying God does not guide us in our daily lives and decisions. He does by the principles laid out by Scripture and His Spirit applying these principles. And when we are seeking for extra-biblical revelation, we are in essence admitting our dissatisfied longings for more than what God has provided. Like Justin Peters said, if you want to hear God speak, read your Bibles. If you want to hear Him speak audibly, read it out loud. This is where we hear God speaking. The problem with those who claim God told them something so often is it doesn't line up with what Scripture actually says. I move on. This is what God said to John the Baptist as found in the end of verse 33. He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. God says, John, by this you will know you've found the one, you've found the Messiah when you see him on whom the Spirit remains, and that's the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. John then says in 34, I have seen this and I have borne witness, and I testify that this is the Son of God. This is one of those incredible passages of such a revelation as we don't deserve. God did not owe us anything. And He certainly did not have to speak to us, but He gave us His Word, His precious Word. And it is filled, absolutely full of these rich passages where we get the privilege of seeing who God is. We get to see His nature and His character. Here John is saying, this is the Lamb of God, the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because of His condescension and His love, He became flesh and He dwelt among us. Verse 14, He had to become flesh in order for His sacrifice to truly meet the requirements. In order to have His perfect sacrifice to atone for sin, He needed to be fully God and fully man. Jesus was both. He was both Son of God and the Lamb of God. Here in this passage, we see both His natures in one person. 
This is Jesus Christ, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, who was and is and ever will be. The one who sits on the throne, who is both merciful to the righteous, but will pour out his wrath on the unrighteous. We like this nice Jesus, who just loves and would never do anything to anyone, because he just... He is just love. But we need to have a little bit of balance as well. He is both love and he is also judge. Revelation, a book written by the same author as the Gospel of John, says this, that he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. And also talks of people seeking to hide from the wrath of the Lamb. This is an unusual concept for us. How can a lamb be wrathful? He is but a little lamb, often weak and prone to get hurt. We just don't see these two concepts coming together into one. This is where we need to understand the both ands of Scripture. If we insist on only focusing on only one element of who Jesus is, we become imbalanced. Just like the Muslims who love to focus only on the, on the human side of Jesus and on the fact that he got hungry or tired. They will argue, if you get tired, there is no way you can be God. They, of course, deny the deity of Christ. The idea that Jesus could be both God and man is completely foreign to them. He can be either or, but not both. He can be prophet, but not king. So for the Muslim, what you have to do is isolate the passages in the Bible that speak of Jesus' humanity, but ignore and reject the ones that talk of his deity. In today's passage, we see that Jesus is so much more than our little minds can ever imagine. We need, to be per- we need to be very careful that we don't try to squish him into a little box as if that were possible. And try not to allow him to transcend as if that were possible beyond the parameters of our small understandings. In closing, I would like to encourage us to behold the Lamb of God. He is fully man. And the Bible tells us he was tempted in every way that he may sympathize with our weaknesses. He can be trusted because he is God. God is good and always does what is good. The judge of all the earth will do what is good. That is the promise of Scripture. He who began a good work in us will also complete it. So let us hold fast our confession, knowing that God is a powerful Savior. And as John writes in John 6:37 and following, if you want to look at that, and I will close with this. John 6:37.
says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is our confidence. This is the power of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is a powerful and a perfect Savior. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you once again for your goodness. Thank you for your word. As you have said, so it is. You promised that your word, in your word, that you promised that your word will go forth and do exactly what you intend for it to accomplish. And it will not return void. Thank you for the many promises that you have given, Lord Jesus. And the promise that those who will turn to you in faith and repentance will find you to be a perfect Savior. You are the Lamb of God who has the power to take away the sin. Forgive us our sins and we trust in your promise that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Remove every obstacle that may hinder our walk with you, Lord. I pray that you would open hearts to receive and to walk in the light of your word. Now I ask for those who do not know the power of your grace, who only know the power of sin and darkness that's involved in that life, Lord. pray that you would convict and stir hearts today, Lord. May they too see like John the Baptist, and also testify that you are the Son of God. Call your sheep, Lord, from all corners of the earth. To him who is forever blessed, we give thanks. Amen.